Good morning, and welcome to this edition of Advice Worth Keeping, KPMG's podcast series where we interview firm executives and thought leaders, as well as third-party industry luminaries and experts on important global business trends, topics, and leading practices. My name is Stan LaPique, and I lead global research for KPMG's Management Consulting Services Group. And I'm pleased to have with us here today on this edition of Advice Worth Keeping, Mr. Mitch Siegel and Mr. Terry Walls. They're both members of the U.S. firm, and they're focused on what's going on in the banking industry, particularly as it relates to the use of data and the creative use of data will really change how banks deliver customer service and change the mix of services that they're offering. Mitch and Terry, thanks for joining us here today on this edition of Advice Worth Keeping. I'd like to add that there's also been additional research, some additional articles that Mitch and Terry have done that we'll be referring to. For those of you that logged into this podcast via the Advice Worth Keeping website, there's a link out to that. But what we'd like to do in the next 10 to 15 minutes is get Mitch and Terry's perspective on what's going on in the market today. So maybe to start out, maybe Mitch, if you could frame the situation of what's going on today in terms of how banking organizations are looking at data and using that to change and improve how they interact with customers. It really gets down to this concept that we call a segment of one. And so if you think about Traditionally, the way that banks and really most businesses have segmented their customers have been in groups of hundreds of thousands and sometimes geographic cuts and really just big groups of people that have somewhat of the same types of characteristics that are offered the same types of product sets and service bundles. Banking really no different than any other type of industry, especially the way we're interacting with e-commerce sites where a bulk of the sales are coming from individualization and personalization by leveraging data and analytics around that data on how we like to be served and how we buy as consumers. Those same patterns are making their way into financial services and really enabling financial institution clients with the data that they need to apply the analytics to get to the ability to personalize offers, products, services, bundles to the way that individual consumers or individual businesses want to see them. So really seeing a drive toward that personalization and that segment of one. We're not there yet, but we see patterns approaching how we get there. One thing I've seen in some other research KPMG has done and also reviewing the materials you and Terry have put together is that banks in particular seem to be pretty aggressive in terms of investment into some of the more cutting-edge technologies such as artificial intelligence. So maybe, Terry, if you could comment on that. I think what we're seeing is maybe historically banks are viewed as maybe not the most aggressive firms from a technology perspective. It seems that today what we've seen in, in other research and from what I'm reading that you two have done, the banks are pretty aggressive in terms of looking at things such as AI and machine learning and other technologies. Is that accurate? Are banks kind of on the cutting edge these days, banks and financial services firms? And if so, what are the driving factors for that? If you look at just the spending past year, the banking industry definitely outpaced all other industries in terms of their spend on artificial intelligence and cognitive technologies. And there was basically a spend of about a billion dollars within financial services 2015. And What the projections are that by 2020, the banking industry is going to have invested almost $10 billion for artificial intelligence and cognitive. The the thing I would tell you, I think this really validates what Mitch is talking about this segment of one. 
I would say that the banking industry was out in the forefront in terms of, from a technology perspective, creating online banking, being able to transact and do business on online banking. But if you think about that, that was very transactional. And what Mitch is talking about and what the banking industry is looking to do now is to take that online banking experience that they've invested quite a bit of money on the last several years from web to mobile. They want to now create, if you will, that personal relationship through that digital device. And that's why so much money now is being put into artificial intelligence and to cognitive because what they see is, is that they need the intelligence to be able to create those personal relationships. It's no longer about creating a broad-based set of segments and guessing what you might want or you might need. Banks now have the ability to have a digital conversation with you. So one of the examples that we highlighted is Bank of America and the fact that this past year and this year, they are going all in on this platform that they're calling Erica, which will be an artificial intelligence platform for not only the web, but also their mobile device that will then also tie into the contact center so that when you, when you call in and you want to talk to a human, there's that intelligence there about who you are, what you want, and what you need. What's the next level of detail of what customers of banks should expect going forward? Because I am a, a B of A customer. I've not met Erica yet, but I also have a local bank. I have a national bank. And I certainly appreciate the convenience of the online banking experience, of the mobile banking. But what I'd be interested in is what new and different services are going to be forthcoming from banks to keep me happy or anyone happy. And how are the traditional banks going to compare or compete or contrast against maybe other organizations, such as, a, for a representative example, a PayPal, which offers some amount of banking services, but is a very different type of historical organization. What should we be expecting going forward? I think, you know, we talk about this concept of financial services having been unbundled over the past few years by digital upstarts that are creating little kind of unique slivers or niches in very specialized areas that are chunking off bits and pieces of the financial service experience from the big banks that had traditionally bundled those services. We actually see that there's rebundling underway. What's happened, and and I think this is really easy for all of us as consumers to understand, is the unbundling has actually added quite a bit of complexity. While it's added great experience and little niches and pieces of how we use financial services, it's getting really complex around the way that we view things like loyalty, just the way that you view where you have points and how you use them and what app you go to based on what retailer you're going to or what your experience is going to be is is just really bifurcated right now. And it's gotten complex to the level that sometimes it's not even worth getting the points or the discount or the loyalty because it's just so confusing to know what app to use and how that stuff gets aggregated. And so, We believe that as there's a bit more cooperation between traditional financial services providers and um, fintechs that are providing bits and pieces of good digital experiences but don't really have a big customer base, and then combine that with the movement toward open API ecosystems and things like PSD2 in Europe, there's this movement to move the ecosystem toward this more openness where You can still get a lot of those digital experiences, but they can be bundled in with your primary service provider who is entering into a lot of some white-labeled, some not white-labeled types of partnerships to bring you 
those better experiences, but in a more bundled fashion that's a little bit easier to work with. The only other thing I would add on to that is when we look at experiences that we have with e-commerce sites like Amazon, somewhere in the neighborhood of 75% of purchases are coming off of the because you bought this, you might like this, as opposed to the top, which is just like the search bar. And so we would expect financial services, services, and product bundles to move a little bit more in that direction. As Terry was alluding to earlier, as you sort of get the AI and the cognitive, they'll have a better means to be able to provide you with suggestions on things that may fit into your financial life and how you spend money and you save money, because those are really the only two things that you do with your money. And we believe that will become more of an Amazon-type experience moving forward. On that topic of complexity, obviously banks in any market, particularly the U.S., are a highly regulated set of organizations, and there's obviously a a lot of debate going back and forth right now in the U.S. at least around the degree to which that regulation should stay at its current level and be reduced. Do you see that some of the initiatives banks have or some of the bright ideas they might have are going to be held back by regulation, or do you think that banks are going to be able to, in terms of getting more creative, for example, with bundling, they're going to be able to do that within the context of the regulatory environment under which they operate? If you look at PSD2 in Europe, that is actually being regulated. So the regulators are actually regulating more openness. We haven't gone entirely that route here in the U.S., but they're doing that from the guise of opening up competition so that consumers can actually gain access into better and more unique services. So if you just take the lead from Europe, which is usually a little bit out in front from a regulatory perspective than the U.S., we would actually expect that the regulation would support some of this movement. Stan, just to add on to that, I think to me in terms of how I think about consumers and where there may be concerns, less about regulation, and it's more about access to be able to address their needs. Consumers want to have highly relevant service, but they're very fearful sometimes about the information that they give and the information that you use to make that service relevant. To be honest with you, at the end of the day, it'll be less about a regulatory challenge per uh, Mitch's comments, and I think it'll be more about how does the bank construct the service experience to make sure that they are showing trust, that there's authenticity, and that there's integrity there in terms of how they're using the data. The other thing I would tell you, too, is that in the race to create these very intelligent segments of one using artificial intelligence and cognitive, people aren't going away in terms of uh, employees from the bank. And you mentioned it around whether it's a branch or a contact center or whatever it may be. What's going to happen is that tomorrow's world, as we're starting to use automation around cognitive and artificial intelligence, there will still be employees in the bank that service us. But their roles are going to change, and they're going to become less about transactions, whether it's order takers or whatever you want to call it. And they're going to be more relationship-driven problem solvers. So there's going to be certain things in the near future, and I would say extended into the next several years, where artificial intelligence or a machine won't be able to solve a problem, and human will be the escalation point. And so I think the challenge or the opportunity that a bank has is how do they start thinking about the changing role of their employees to handle those much more complex issues and concerns and needs that a consumer or a customer might have? 
that's a great point, and that's a huge point. And I think I'll have both of you back on another podcast because I think we could spend 15 minutes just on that. And are the employees that are in place today going to be able to step up to that? And are the banks going to be able to provide the support to do that? I think that's a huge topic, but I think a topic for another discussion. To wrap up today, so this is all good, but in the end run, you know, banks are in business. They're businesses. They have shareholders in many cases. They're here to make money. How do they balance maintaining profitability and doing a good job to their shareholders and to their investors at the same time doing a good job to their customers and how far and how fast to invest in some of these technologies? I mean, Terry, you said it's some pretty big numbers that are being invested What's the business case? What's the ROI on some of this? Or is it really intuitive that you just have to do it to stay competitive? I think those two go hand in hand. I mean, we answer a lot of client questions around how much should I be investing in digital or how much should I be investing in technology? What percent of revenue should I spend on these things vis-a-vis my competitors? And actually, in most cases, we think those are the wrong questions. This is twofold, right? Part of this is just the way it's going. It's a cost of doing business. So you can't not do it. But the other part of it is if you look at the companies that have effectively leveraged data to better service their customers, they're all making pretty good money. We believe that there are patterns out there that suggest that you can do this in an incremental fashion. You still got to do it quickly but you can do it incrementally and build business case as you go. There's definitely some foundational components, but there is ROE behind this and ROI behind these as well from a perspective of getting to a segment of one, which is aspirational, and being able to better serve your customers so that they maintain a greater share of their wallet services with your brand. Those are dollars to our clients and the ability to kind of maintain, sort of get to that rebundled state, even if you are having to share some of that revenue through partnership structures and those types of things, the maintenance of that customer relationship is really where a lot of the dollars reside at the end of the day. So there are definitely business cases behind that. I'm sure Terry has similar perspectives on that. I agree. When this talks about the incrementality, it used to be that incrementality was a bad thing. Everybody talked about lateral shifts. And one of the things that from a digital technology perspective that has allowed us to do is to be able to do rapid test and learn around digital and do that in an incremental fashion. It used to be technology was these big Death Star projects that took years before you started to see that return on the investment. And that's not the case anymore. We can use digital in a very, I would say, progressive and incremental way to be able to address that type of strategy. And the way that you think about it or the way that we talk to clients about this is that they need to be thinking about what their customers' needs are, and they need to be thinking then about how do they prioritize those investments. There's a very simple equation that we talk to our clients around in terms of balancing, in terms of the development of customer experiences with the cost to serve. So if you think about a horizontal line, and that's the the expectations of the customers, and it's probably on a slight tilt upward because customers' needs are continuing to increase in terms of their expectations. That horizontal line, though, is if you fall below that line in terms of being able to deliver on those needs, you lose business because customers are very dissatisfied with you and they leave and they go somewhere else. If you on that line significantly overachieve on what customers need or want, you basically are losing profit because you've significantly overinvested in the experience 
that your customers don't necessarily need. So the idea here is as you start to think about incremental investments, that you put that on an axis with what are the needs and the expectations of your customers, and you line your strategy up with how to meet or slightly exceed those expectations and needs. And to us, it's a very logical way to think about how do you deliver on those needs of the customers in a profitable and sustainable way. I would add one thing to that, which I find really interesting is, Terry kind of alluded to this. So if you look back, even six months, but let's go a little bit further, 12 to 24 months, a lot of our clients had initiatives that were in the 300 million to 2 billion range, depending on size of, we're going to go replace all of our back-end core systems because we need to get better at our ability to be nimble and agile. And really the patterns around architecture and technology have changed pretty rapidly over the past couple of years that basically say, in some cases, you still have to do that if you've just got end-of-life systems and those types of things. But more often than not, what we're finding is those investments are actually not necessary at that size and level, and that you can actually extract data from some of those core systems and reduce reliance on those core systems and leave them running and have much, much quicker realization of the benefits by moving things into middle tier services layers and microservices and be able to expose the data to apply the AI and cognitive to get to the state that we're talking about. So in some ways, we're almost seeing to where it's cheaper and faster to do things than it was two years ago. That's where the question, how much should I be spending on technology, and are sometimes the wrong questions to be asking, because in some cases, you actually can reduce your spend and still get better movement toward that target state than what you've been able to do in the past. Okay, well, I think that's great insight to close on. I'm very optimistic. You know, be logical. You can possibly spend less and get more, and you should avoid death stars. So I think all great advice. So Mitch and Terry, thank you very much for your time today. I'd like to get you both back to discuss the point of talent in banking, and where does that go as things such as artificial intelligence become more prevalent? And also, Mitch, to your last point around the, the idea of artificial intelligence as a middleware layer that allows you to really exploit some of your existing systems without having to blow them up and replace them. I think those are two very important topics, so we'll get both of you guys back on that. But again, thank you very much for your time here today. And you can find the links to the items we referenced in the show today below the podcast. If you're online, of course, the URL for that is kpmg.com slash US slash podcast. That's a wrap. Thanks for your participation.